In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Good evening, friends, and welcome, and Merry Christmas. It's really good to be together this evening. If I haven't met you, my name's John Thorpe. I'm the minister here at Shell Harbour City Anglican. Uh, tonight, our theme is Truth Stranger Than Fiction. And so I thought we'd begin with a little bit of a game. Okay, so I'm going to put up a picture. Uh, if you think this picture is, is true, uh, then, then just hands on head. Uh, if you think it's, it's false or doctored, uh, then, then just hands across, you know, to your shoulders. Okay, we'll see how we go. So, picture number one. So, fact or fiction? Come on, got to commit. Arms crossed is not actually. Come on, choose. And it is fact. So the, you can't quite tell by the picture, but it's actually just sitting in really nice water. And uh, what you're looking at is, is the shadow uh, from behind. Okay, here's the next one. Uh, for everyone who loves a good cat meme. Okay, fact or fiction. If you think it's true, hands on head. If, if, if you think, you know, someone's having this on. Okay, that one is fiction. Uh, so go to the next picture. Uh, he was a cute cat. Uh, but, but they just sort of gave him a few extra bits to make him look a little bit grumpy and, uh, you know, well, you know, special. Uh, okay, next one. Okay, fact or fiction? Fact, fiction. True, false. That one is true. Uh, so that is uh, Sculptures by the Sea, uh, you know, at Bondi Beach. And so there was literally a giant fry pan uh, in the sand. Uh, and that's a girl walking up. But okay, last one. <laughs> Fact or fiction? So true, false. And that one is false. So <laughs> uh, there are people running. There was a bear, but they were never in the same picture together. Uh, we're about to spend some time uh, in God's Word looking at the passage that we just read. Let me pray as we do that. Uh, dear Lord, I pray that my words might be faithful, uh, a faithful reflection of your Word. Uh, guide our time together now so that we might hear your Word to us now and respond. Amen. 
It is hard these days to tell the difference between truth and fiction. Uh, sometimes people are genuinely mistaken in the way they communicate to us. Uh, sometimes they're actively out there trying to deceive us. And things like social media and Photoshop make it all that much easier. And then sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. And if you're reading the events of Christmas for the first time, then it would certainly sound like it's more fiction than fact. It's interesting to observe these days how the popular media engage with Christmas. Uh, so for some, they don't want to mention Christ at all. So they want to keep it in that safe space of family and Santa and that kind of Chucky-esque you know, elf on the shelf. Uh, some people or some media outlets are a little more adventurous and they choose to have an opinion piece about Christianity. And then some do actually engage with Christmas and what it means for Christians, but the underlying tone of the article tends to be more negative. And the passage that we read this evening for some exemplifies everything that they find unbelievable about Christmas specifically and Christianity generally. Because on so many levels, this passage just keeps poking the bear. So the book of Luke that we just read from starts off well enough. So the writer Luke plans to write an orderly and factual account about the life of Jesus. But almost immediately, the story takes an awkward turn for any reasonable person. We've got an angel that appears to Mary and declares that even though she's a virgin, she's going to give birth to a son. And if you've ever read the book, you know, Where Did I Come From? Then you'll know that that's just not how things are done. Yeah, it's funny, you know, Mary is greatly troubled that the angel calls her highly favoured, but she only seems sort of mildly perplexed that she is going to be pregnant as a result of God's spirit. So reading from verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And for plenty of people, that is a deal breaker when it comes to considering the authenticity of the Bible or the message of Christianity. Uh, there are 34 verses into the book and it's simply beyond believing. And at this point we do need to have at least some open-mindedness and a willingness to consider that if God can choose to create a natural order of things and he chooses to create things like gravity and time, then he can also choose to work outside of that natural order to fulfil his purposes and plans. And if God is going to reveal himself and be actually noticed, then it has to be outside of the natural order of things. It can't simply be thunderbolts and lightning, which are very, very frightening, because you know, natural phenomena alone doesn't actually say anything about the nature of God. You know, they say an extraordinary claim demands extraordinary proof. And if you were Mary, then I think, you know, being confronted by an angel and being told that you will be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, I think that would do it. 
Of course, it wasn't the only proof that we have about Jesus being God's son and the Messiah. So right through his life, we see miracle after miracle as, as Jesus does the impossible, as he heals the sick, as he controls the thunderbolts and lightning. Uh, even for those who hated Jesus the most, recognized that he had power. But for those of us who believe Luke's account of events, it's important to recognize the implications of Jesus being born of the Spirit and born of a woman, because it captures both his godness and his humanity. So in his godness, he is without sin, and we see that in verse 35. He is wholly perfect, set apart from the fallenness of creation. But in his humanity, he shares in our humanity. And that means he understands our humanity. So he's still perfect, but he understands what it's like to be tempted. Uh, He experiences our experience of suffering. And that makes him our perfect like-for-like substitute. So Jesus is the only person without sin, And therefore, he's the only person who can stand in our place and pay the price for our sin. So this is how the Apostle Peter puts it. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. People are offended by how Jesus came into the world, but I think they're even more offended by the why. Yeah, from their perspective, if Christians want to believe in angels and virgin births, well, that's completely up to them. Uh, That has no real impact on our society. But if Christians are relying on these accounts to make big life decisions and to influence the moral shape of our society, then that really does matter. And that means for many people, they view Christians as dangerous. You know, these days, the overwhelming view of our culture is there's nothing more than the present, and the greatest moral good is to live freely and to be true to yourself. Uh, But the message of the Bible is that actually we're not that good, and true freedom doesn't come from living simply for ourselves, but living in a relationship with God. Uh, My daughter, Belle, has a goldfish tank in, in her room, and uh, uh, that's Gilly. And, but she does seem to have a tendency for her goldfish to jump out of the tank. Okay, and this hasn't just happened once. This is like quite a common phenomenon. I'm surprised Gilly's still going, actually. So somewhere in Gilly's little brain, you know, he, he swims past the duck and past the hippo and past T-Rex and his little arms. And at some point, he looks out into the squalor of her room <laughs> and he goes... I reckon it's better over there than in here. And so, yeah, he puts his little tail down the bottom and out he shoots. And sure enough, I'm sure he splats on the carpet and flip-flops around for a little while. Uh, but, but, you know, in all of this thinking, it's a bit like us sometimes. You know, we think that we know the best way to live. We think we've got it all under control. Uh, but God has created us a particular way. Uh, fish get the most out of life when they live in water. Uh, We get the most out of life when we live in the relationship with God who created us. And the first step to restoring that relationship is recognising that our natural instinct is to rebel against God. 
uh, to say it's my life and I'll do what I want. And that attitude to God then overflows into our attitude to life. You know, some sin that we embrace and hold on to, kind of like you know, Gollum in Lord of the Rings, you know, with the ring. Uh, there are other sins we despise, but we keep returning to them, you know, like a dog returns to its vomit. You know, thankfully, God provides a solution. It's a solution that's consistent with his character. So he sends his son. And today we remember him sending his son. Obviously, we remember him as a child. But, of course, he will grow up to be a man. And that man will die on a cross as a substitute for us. And in that moment, we will see both God's mercy and justice. So his death, the death of Jesus, secures our life. His resurrection proves his power over death. And his ascension establishes him as having authority over humanity. And that means authority over us. And so if we want to stand for God rather than stand against God, then we need to recognise that authority. We need to recognise our sin, we need to ask for forgiveness, and we need to submit. So verse 32, He'll be great, and we call the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will not end. It's not a direct quote of the Isaiah passage, which we read first, uh, but you can kind of see the, the parallels in the language. And God is faithful to his promises. What he promised way back then in Isaiah, some sort of 700 years earlier, he is now fulfilling in this moment. He said he would establish a kingdom that would last forever. And that's what's happening. He said that, humanly speaking, this child would come from the line of David. And now this child, lying in a feeding trough, in a shed, is God's answer to that promise. So for any Jewish person hearing these words, uh, they're thinking back to not only the words of Isaiah, but even further back to the, the book of Samuel where God makes this promise. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And to go back even further in history, all the way back to the beginning, to Abraham, the father of Israel, it would remind them of these words. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be, be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the angel's now standing here in front of Mary, saying, this is happening right now. All those promises that you heard at synagogue each week for your entire life, that is what's happening, in this, being fulfilled in this child right now. And so how does Mary respond to this sort of mind-blowing you know, revelation uh, it was quite calmly, really. Verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And so the question for us is, well, how do we respond? Uh, do we have that same response of trust and faith that Mary had? You know, Christianity doesn't fit comfortably into a world that wants everything to conform to a naturalistic worldview, uh, where everything can be seen and measured. And if you look at the size of the universe, it's hard to imagine why God would even consider us something of value. 
In the words of Psalm 8, you know, what is humanity that God is mindful of them? Um, but some truth is stranger than fiction. You know, the size and the intricacy of creation speaks to the power and the majesty of God. But the birth of Jesus speaks to God's love and compassion and mercy. Uh, God chooses to exist close to his creation. Now, we say we want God to reveal himself, and he reveals himself through his son. We say we want God to prove that Jesus is his son, and he does through the circumstances of his birth, through the miracles, through his resurrection. We say we want God to prove himself now, and he does through his Holy Spirit, as he convicts hard hearts, as he transforms broken lives, and as he saves sinners like us, from going to hell. And so as we come to Christmas now, as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Saviour, let me close with these words from Psalm 34 that I hope are true for us, where it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Amen.